0: everyone, welcome to the Corderay Connect, your one-stop shop for all Indiana FFA and agricultural news. We're super excited to bring you stories from industry leaders, FFA members, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kylie Shakel, alongside my co-host, Luke Sproles.
1: During our year of service as Indiana FFA state officers, we hope to share with you the stories of the amazing individuals that are leading and shaping our industry. Join us today at Corduroy Connect to get a glimpse into what we have to offer. Hey guys, welcome back to the Corduroy Connect, and I'm going to drop you right into the conversation that I had with Dr. Sarah LaRose of Purdue University, and we begin this conversation by discussing if agricultural education is diverse enough to give students the worldview that they need to be successful after high school or if we need to be infusing more cultural education into our ag ed classrooms.
2: Culture is such a large subject that you can do just about anything within it. Like it's, I love about it is that it's where you apply your learning from all these other subjects that you've taken in school. So like my, my students would um, sometimes complain when we were doing, um, feed calculations, or unit conversions, or we're calculating dosages for medication, and they're like, Miss LaRouse, why are we doing math? This is ag class. And like, this is where you apply all those skills. Mm -hmm. Agriculture is interdisciplinary by nature. Like, you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to write. You need to be able to do math. You need to be able to conduct the scientific method. All these different things that you're learning in your other courses Are applied within the context of agriculture. So agriculture presents us a really cool opportunity to be able to connect and collaborate with people in lots of different ways. Um, I think if we back up a little bit and look at what people think the purpose of agricultural education is really drives how they end up teaching it. Um, If people believe that the sole purpose of ag education is to train people in job skills, then they're probably going to be focusing a lot more on how do I actually do these particular skills. If you're looking at it from more of a literacy perspective, where you're passionate about helping students learn where their food comes from, then you're probably going to be less concerned about those actual, like, job skills, and more concerned about how do I make sure my students understand how this tomato got from the field to their table. Um, Other people kind of do a blending of them and so agriculture we know doesn't look just one way. I'm learning out here in Indiana it's primarily dominated by corn and soybeans and Mm -hmm. then it's of melon production or tomato production. You might be disappointed to know I'd never heard of red gold tomatoes until I came to Indiana. What? <laughs> but but what's cool about AgED is that it's really customized to meet the needs of the local community. And so, if you've got a lot of interest in your community in um, small-scale vegetable production, then you can kind of tailor your program around that. Um, at the same time, we also need to be thinking about the. Um, needs of our students not just in the content because yes we're teaching agriculture but we're teaching students we're teaching humans and those students come from families they come from backgrounds that might be different than ours um they maybe were born in a different country or different part of the country or maybe in a different part of indiana i've been told northern and southern Southern indiana have very different cultures (laughs) so
1: for sure um
2: so Addressing the needs of our students through our teaching is something that I think we should be doing, and sometimes it's challenging to do. It's not necessarily easy, but there are definitely easier places to start
1: than others. Absolutely. So I'm going to throw a little hypothetical question at you. Let's say we have a school in the middle of rural Indiana who focuses primarily on that blended food production and job skills. Mm -hmm. how would you recommend that school or that classroom could integrate or infuse some diversity education or just diversity knowledge of agriculture into their curriculum?
2: So when we're talking about diversity, um, I'm going to go from the perspective of different viewpoints than the um, majority population. So um, you might be teaching in a community, like in your example, in rural Indiana – I'm assuming it's probably a community that does conventional agriculture. Mm -hmm. And um, you may want to think about how can I challenge students to think about things from a different perspective. Mm So um, assigning students a project to research different ways of production or what's the origin of this particular crop. There's a lot of crops that we grow that did not come from North America. They came here from other places around the world. And in that project, they might be looking at, well, how did it actually get here? Well, there's some crops that got here, not because a scout went out and said, I wanna bring these seeds to North America, um, but there's some crops like okra that came here along with people who were brought to North America through slavery and those seeds were braided into their hair. And so that opens up a conversation about, well, how did we get all these different crops here? how did we end up deciding to produce these foods where did they come from and what cultural significance do they have to others um, a lot of what i would do as a high school ag teacher was try to blend that literacy approach with a job skills approach so that way i was meeting the needs of a lot of different kids because i had some students in my class who their plan was to go out and to run a farm right after they graduated And then I had other students who were like, this is really cool. I really enjoy this in my day. I'm passionate about teaching others about agriculture, but I don't know if I necessarily want to pursue ag as a career. So I wanted to make sure all of my students could communicate. And so that was something that I wove into my lessons, no matter what I was teaching, some sort of communication, critical thinking, analysis component. And oftentimes when we stop and think about, well, why are we teaching this this way or why am i even teaching this topic it might not be just because the state standards say so but it might be because that's what you're familiar with um and so if we stop and challenge ourselves to say well why or what else is there that can be an easy entry point for starting to think about the diversity of people and um, approaches in agriculture
1: for example i never really thought of teaching about where our crops came from but I really think it speaks volumes to the history of our country and agriculture as a whole. I I just love that idea. So you talked a little bit about blending. When you were a teacher, you blended some life skills, some diversity knowledge, along with those job training skills. Are there other ways that we can improve in the classroom as far as tackling tackling this issue of teaching our students about people and how to be more diverse?
2: So that's a really great question. It's also a very broad question. Right, yeah. Um, So I'm I'm going to kind of go down one narrow slice of how you can respond to that. Um, As teachers and as FFA officers, um, I would challenge anybody, whether they're chapter officer, state officer, um, advisory board member, FFA alumni member, ag teachers, look at who is in your program who does your program primarily serve and then ask yourself why like why why does my program look the way that it does and then look at your demographics of your community and say am i meeting the needs of all the students in this community or am i only meeting the needs of a small slice of that community now that doesn't mean that the ag teacher is going to be all things to all people i mean you can't do that but if you're only recruiting kids who show animals through 4-h that's the only kids you're going to have in your program i was not a 4-h member so when i came to indiana and my students were introducing themselves as I was a five-year FFA member and a 10-year 4-H member. I was like, what are they saying? I don't, I don't know. What's this 10-year 4-H member thing about? And it's awesome. Like, I'm jealous they got to be in 4-H and for 10 years. Like, that's really great. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're only recruiting those kids into our program, then our program going to only continue looking the same. And we're only going to keep talking to the same people over and over and over. And then you get what's called an echo chamber, where you're just talking to people who think just like you and act just like you. And that doesn't really meet the mission of agricultural education, does it? Mm-hmm. So, first step, look at who's in your program and how you go about recruiting kids into your program. I'd also look at the culture of your program. The program where I taught, this, this might blow your mind because it's what a lot of people in Indiana look at me. <laughs> we, I tell them this. Um, in Connecticut, all of our ag programs are regional programs. So they serve multiple towns and kids would come to our school specifically to take high school ag classes so my school served 26 towns and we had 350 ish students in our ag program the high school was 800 students or so which was on the smaller side for high schools in connecticut learning that here in Indiana that you can have a K12 school that has 300 students in the entire school so yep. <laughs> like it's a little bigger school um, yeah. but because we are re- we were regional programs we had multiple teachers in the mm-hmm. program by the time I left the program that I was teaching at we had 10 ag teachers oh wow w- yeah so some of those people had been there for 25 30 years and others had been there for much shorter amount of time so we had some very experienced folks and we had some very new people um but the culture of the program was very much um deeply rooted in competition and winning competitions so like i mentioned earlier like they were our arch nemesis when i was a student like oh my god they mm-hmm. win everything and so then when i got there i really saw this culture of um competition. Like, like if you're an FFA, you're going to be involved in some kind of CDE. The only way kids got to go to National FFA convention was if they were competing in something. And so that was, like, the big culture of our program. Now, if I was a student who couldn't care less about competition and thought that, oh, well, only the smart kids are competing because they're the only ones that made the team, well, then FFA is not a place for me. And that's not necessarily what we want to communicate. Like we, we want FFA to be a place where anybody can thrive. And so not only should we be looking at who's in our program and how do we recruit them, but what kind of culture do we promote? Who gets rewarded in our programs? How is that communicated explicitly like through words or recruitment efforts? Or implicitly? What do we wear? What are people? Um, where do they hang out? What do they do outside of school? Um, we had kids who would show up in our program, and within a couple months, they were trying to dress like the, some of the other ag kids, like jeans, logger boots, flannel, and a ball cap. And they're like, I'm <laughs> an ag kid now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but like, um, but there's a lot of these unspoken pieces of what kind of culture we maintain. And so a lot of that comes down to the ag teacher and the um, FFA chapter officers. What are you – Proclaiming in what you're saying and what you're doing. What do your actions and your words say let's programmatically some stuff in terms of um, Diversity equity inclusion places to start
1: so as chapters we need to be super focused and Deliberate about the culture that we promote in our chapter while we may be super focused on Competing in our chapter and being successful in those competitions We also need to be mindful of those students who aren't interested in competing like you said being so focused on competing unknowingly excluded those kids who may have been more focused on service or mm-hmm. jo- career success, which are mm-hmm. both extremely important parts of the FFA model.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you look at um, the mission statement for FFA, FFA makes a positive difference in the lives of students by developing their potential for what three things, Luke?
1: I would say that not keeping everything in view and balanced kind of creates a blind spot for an ffa chapter would you agree
2: you mean like if we're only focused on one thing then we have blind spots yes yeah
1: of course so, yeah so those blind spots may be where we lose some of our stronger members and not even know it would you agree
2: mm-hmm. yeah
1: so how could we identify and overcome some of these blind spots in our ffa chapter you touched on it a little bit
2: Mm-hmm so um this is where things might get uncomfortable for people because it involves asking questions and listening and listening with humility because it can be really hard to hear people share their views on things and it might not be what you want to hear like if if they don't feel very welcomed because as an ag teacher i've seem to give the impression that I'm only focused on these one these this one group of students like oh Miss LaRose only cares about her parliamentary procedure team that's it like those are her favorite kids well that's a problem for me because I don't want to be somebody who plays favorites I don't want to be somebody who gives that impression And if somebody feels that that's what's going on with me that's that's really going to frustrate me as a teacher because I the last thing I want to do is have somebody feel isolated um, And same thing as an FFA chapter, if we are looking at what types of events that we've held and we ask, well, why are we doing these events? Well, because we've always done them. Well, that's not really a good answer. There's a quote I've heard that says, the most dangerous phrase in education is, well, we've always done it this way. And so um, FFA has been going through a lot of different changes since like, the late 80s. I mean, we went from being vocational agriculture and future farmers of America to agricultural education and the National FFA organization. Mm-hmm. no organization, we tend to be very, very slow when it comes to change. Very slow. So, like, I served as a state FFA officer and national convention delegate in 2005, which is 15 years ago now. It's crazy. But um, we were voting on adjusting the requirements for official dress in 2005 and that was the first time it had come up and it was until like three years ago that we finally adjusted it to reflect that there's a diversity of different students in our organization who can then dress according to their gender identity or even at the like the way that my students talked about it we lived in a cold climate these girls didn't want skirts and nylons in a cold climate and can i tell you going to national state president's conference in july in washington dc wearing nylons is <laughs> thing to do in heat and humidity so <laughs> i mean this took us how long to change but like because we tend to be very um, tied to tradition now that doesn't mean all traditions are bad but it does mean that we need to think about how might our traditions be inadvertently alienating others. So it might be in the form of anonymous surveys, it could be listening sessions, it could be um, maybe the advisory committee or the FFA alumni help out with conducting some of these questioning like surveys or our listening sessions so that way the people who are answering don't necessarily feel pressured to say one thing or another because they're worried about how their peers or their teacher might view them Um, but taking a look at what we do and being open to the idea that things can be better is a really important first step.
1: Absolutely. Tradition is always great in certain areas but we need to keep in mind that that going through these traditions may just be causing a rut for ourselves. Mm
2: -hmm. I think about it this way. It was a tradition that the FFA was a boys only club. Exactly. Until 1969. And as early as the 1930s, the state advisor from Massachusetts was pushing to have girls be members at the national level because lots of the new England states allowed them to be members at the local level and the state level. But no, no, no. It's a tradition for boys. (laughs) today if it was still like that
1: yeah i would definitely say that we've improved because we have become more diverse even from just it's crazy to think that it was just an all boys club but it's been the norm to have girls and boys and i think we're better for it Mm -hmm. how can students promote diversity in the classrooms
2: they promote diversity in their classroom well first of all um i think being open-minded to thinking about how others who maybe look different than you, act different than you, have grew up differently than you, be open-minded to their perspectives um, because they might feel differently about things than you. Um, Actively learn about their perspective. Don't just sort of be like, oh, I'm not going to sit near them. I'm just going to sit here quietly. Like you want to ask questions very... um, in a very authentic way, not because you're demanding an answer from them, but you're really trying to genuinely get to know them. A lot of this comes down to building relationships um, and trust. And when people don't trust or there's no relationship, nobody's going to open up to you and tell you anything. And and they don't have to tell you anything. Um, If you're in an area where you don't necessarily feel like your population is very diverse in terms of uh, cultural differences or um, racial differences, then I would encourage you to seek out ways where you can learn about those differences. There's tons of media out there on lots of different streaming platforms that talk about the lived experiences of folks from different backgrounds. Um, there's lots of different podcasts, there's um, Twitter, lots of different things. Now. You all do this under the uh, approval of your parents. (laughs) But there's lots of different ways you can learn about people different from you without necessarily even actually interfacing with somebody in real life. Um, So be open to learn. Actively seek out ways to learn. um, And look out for those who are not being included and actively work to embrace them at the table. Not just like, hey, you're here, but hey, we want you here, and, and we really celebrate the fact you're here.
1: That is awesome, and my last question to you is how can we use this mentality of being open to learn, actively seeking out others? How can we use that mentality to become better leaders?
2: So I think all the things that we've been talking about um, build the foundation of empathy, and I think to be a um, effective leader, you need to be able to empathize with the needs of your constituents or your colleagues and so um Spending time really cultivating the ability to empathize with others and understand their perspective, I think ultimately will make for a more responsive leader and one who um, leads through service.
1: Awesome. Well, Dr. LaRose, thank you so much for your time today.
2: You're welcome. Glad to be here. Mm
0: -hmm. Now we're gonna turn it over to Dr. Russell for part two of his conversation. So, we brought Dr. Russell onto the show today because, or the podcast today, because he has been working with the officer team on our own personal development in terms of diversity, um, equity, and and inclusion. So, he's helping us better understand what we can do and how to grow ourselves this year. So, we're going to be talking to Dr. Russell today a little bit more about um, IDI. So, Dr. Russell, do you want to explain to us what is IDI?
3: Well, IDI stands for Intercultural Development Inventory. It's actually just a tool. It's just a online um, set of 50 questions that you fill out, Um, but it's really based on the intercultural competencies uh, that are what we're trying to be able to assess.
0: And so how does IDI, by taking this assessment, how does it help the people who do take it or who do evaluate themselves after taking the test?
3: Well, I'm glad you said evaluate yourselves because it's a very personal, um, intentional uh, exercise that begins the conversation. Um, I can describe that it evaluates two segments or aspects of your perspective. Half the questions are about things you believe as far as how you perceive your relationship with what you define to be people that are other than you or different than you. Mm-hmm. The other half the questions are things that you do uh, and how you actually behave and react and, and um, interact with people that are different than you. And then it gives you a basis to make some comparisons and some discussion about where you would be on a, a uh, a continuum they would call it of of where you perceive differences in your your perspectives
0: right so what contributes to kind of your starting point to you know where you how you perceive things is it how you grew up is it the environment you're in now what kind of contributes to that
3: well of course it depends on when you take the instrument so everything that i've done in my life contributes to my perspective of how I view people that are different than me now. Uh, And I should back up and just mention the categories so that uh, everybody understands that I grew up, as an example, on a small farm in upstate New York and everyone that I knew was like me. So the continuum would say I'm I'm pretty unaware of, of how different I am. So if everyone's like me, they call it denial, but it's really not Uh, that I'm in denial, I just haven't been exposed to any differences. So I don't think about those differences. And then there's categories beyond that, that we could talk about more if you would like. But if I never had moved out of my experiences growing up, I would probably still be in denial. Um, So as you have life experiences, you can be exposed to more than, than you think you're better than other people, or you think we're all the same, or you think that everything is uh, based on equally valid ways of doing things, or maybe you're where you can adapt to anybody's behavior and cultural differences and uh, not be bothered by that, but um, it's based largely on your lived experiences and your willingness to be reflective and think about who you really are.
0: Right. So once we reflect on our IDIs and you know how what category, I guess it puts us in, how can we grow to be more conscious of that category we are in and how do we continue to improve ourselves in terms of that?
3: Well, I think sometimes it has to be very uh, intentional and sometimes I, as an example, have uh, lived in Australia for a year and a half in a different culture. So I had to figure out with my three children and my wife how we were going to behave and we had that experience which then gave me an interest in not only travel but an interest in how we react to people that are different than us the food was different my wife got frustrated because they didn't have any ice Uh, and most of the people in western europe don't have ice in their in their soft drinks so there's little things that are different but a lot of us had grown up in when you're my age, you've grown up through a lot of segregation or or, uh, uh, isms, if you were, you know, where racism or sexism or all of these sorts of things. So what you do to try to get rid of that is to pretend that we're all the same. We're actually all, they call that minimization. Um, So if I'm in polarization where I see a lot of differences in people, then there's certain activities I would choose to do to get to minimization. If I think we're all the same and I'm missing all the richness of the food or the music or the cultural differences or the nuances of the the science and the writing and so forth, then uh, I need to really spend a lot of time immersing myself in other cultures and trying to understand why, not just what, but why they're like they are.
0: So the IDI, I know as an officer team, we took that to help ourselves in this year. How does our IDI affect us as leaders in the FFA organization and affect us beyond?
3: Well, that's a big question because I came to this work actually as an animal scientist, a horse nutritionist, and I thought I could help the world by knowing more about science. And what I learned was if I'm gonna help people on big horse farms, I need to be able to, uh, on some farms speak Spanish in order to be able to help them feed their horses because that's who was feeding the horses were the Latinos uh, in the Hispanic folks. So the reality is anytime you work in teams, mm-hmm. anytime you're trying to influence people, anytime you're trying to sell something, anytime you're trying to learn something, anytime you're interacting in today's world, you're interacting with people that are of different ethnicities and different cultures and different backgrounds. So, you know, to me, an awful lot of what FFA does is we try to uh, work in situations where we're leading, we're working in teams, we're trying to influence, uh, and we need to be inclusive. Uh, If we want to not only be successful as a team There's a lot of literature that shows that diverse teams, meaning diversity of thought and thinking and perspectives also make better solutions, make more innovative, creative outcomes. So if we're really trying to be successful, companies are beginning to expect uh, graduates from universities and graduates that have backgrounds in agricultural sciences to have the skills to work with people who are different than themselves. And I would say specifically for FFA, uh, if we all are just like me, uh, we're only going to design programs and activities and educational classroom spaces for people that look and act like me. And I've learned that um, I'm now, because of my age, there are more millennials and younger than there are people older than millennials. And there are more people in the united states that are black and brown and have different ethnicities than there are western european caucasians so especially for the young people we're trying to teach and lead and grow they're going to need these skills even more in the future to be successful
2: Mm -hmm.
0: so we've done a lot of talking on IDI and how it's a tool to help us you know grow ourselves evaluate ourselves but is there other options for us to learn more about dei and to you know, become more educated around those topics?
3: Well, I think it's really the answer is yes, of course. But there's a lot of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion all mean a lot of different things. Um, I work at a university that's predominantly a white institution. And we work hard on the diversity part. We, We need people that are more different and different backgrounds and different perspectives to make Purdue better. But then there's the equity part. How do we make it so everyone can truly learn and have a voice and be valued and be um, able to succeed in the environments where we are? Uh, and the, and the, the inclusion part is um, more like we value you. You're actually not just welcome here, but we need you. So. Um, There are many books you can read. There's all kinds of books out right now. There's podcasts that are informative on these subjects as well. Not just yours, but others. Uh, But there's also a lot of lived experiences. You have to be willing to go to food fests, to go to different dances and different music concerts and different places. Not everyone can afford to travel um, or even get out of your neighborhood and your school uh, I would encourage the teachers and the students to visit different school districts in different um, cities and states. And uh, it is amazing to me how some people that I work with that have traveled a lot and have lots of frequent flyer miles, and there's other people. When we were getting ready to go to Haiti last year, two people had never flown. Right. One person had never, you know, even been out of our state. And these are college students. So. Um, it it costs money and it's opportunity but i think that getting out of your comfort zone and interacting with people and and feeling safe and comfortable is a growth process
0: Mm -hmm. i know this is a topic that we could go on for days you know months years talking about and that's our hope you know we want to continue to have this uh, conversation on diversity equity and inclusion. But for now, that's about all the time we have. And I'm glad that we had time to understand more about IDI and how it's helping not only us, but everyone truly understand themselves better and evaluate themselves so they can be become better leaders. Dr. Russell in each podcast we do a leadership segment and it's based around how we can become better leaders since FFA is focusing around leadership. So we have a question today and we want to ask and get your input on and that is how can adult professionals including ag teachers become better leaders with the help of IDI and DEI? I
3: think it's very important that adult teachers, adult leaders um, have to be the model. They have to set the the tone of the department of your classroom, of your chapter, of your program. Um, so I think it's really important that if you're going to be leading people, you're going to have to realize that not everyone thinks just like you or acts like you or believes what you believe. So being more effective, um, I think of Taking more time to actually watch what people are doing, take time to listen to the problems that people are having, and not just be quick with what is the answer, but what are the, what what are the real barriers? What are their real problems? Um, and, and listen, and just observe. And if I could answer that with one question, I would say we need to ask more questions uh, instead of us informing you about how it should be, whether that policy is, we need to ask lots more questions about why you wanna do that, why do you have a problem? Why are you not learning this information that I'm sharing? Why are you not wanting to participate in our team? Uh, And all of those answers will give you more insight into how you can more effectively lead because leadership isn't a position, leadership is the ability to influence. And if you can't influence people, you're not leading and you might not even be teaching them. So uh, I would think the more we can intentionally try to understand the perspective from which different people struggle and come to us and join our organizations, the more effectively we'll be able to help them.
0: That is a great response. You talked about how, you know, our our leaders, our ag teachers, our adult professionals, they need to set the tone, set the example. And Dr. Russell, you do a very nice job at that. And we want to thank you for truly being a leader in terms of that. And with that said, we also want to thank you for your time today for taking time out of your day to talk to us and help inform others when they are asking those questions and to better educate themselves. So do you have anything else you'd like to say?
3: I would just like to thank you and your officer team and Indian FFA for going down this path. This is really important work. There's lots of work we can be doing together, and we're never done. There's lots more uh, uh, challenges before us that we all need to grow, and I hope we don't ever stop growing.
0: I agree. I agree with you. There is tons of work, and I hope we don't stop growing as well. So once again, thank you for your time.
3: You're welcome.
1: Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in the Corduroy Connect. Join us next month as we continue to share the stories of leaders shaping our future. This has been your co-hosts, Luke Sprouls and Kylie Shakel.
0: Indiana FFA, stay golden.